I invite you to open your Bible with me tonight to Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we are uh, going to read the first uh, eight verses and then we'll jump through 12 through 22. Uh, this is Paul's uh, just uh, great celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his, his uh, defense of it, um, but this is at the core of the gospel. And, um, and it's, what we, it's what we trust in, what we live by, uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then let's go to verse 12 and read through 22. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are, of all we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Well, God, our Father, I thank you so much that you've given to us this scripture. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is uh, revealed to us uh, the truth that you are uh, the living Christ and that uh, your spirit now has, uh, is present to help teach us these things. And, and so we depend on your spirit that um, we would know and believe and be encouraged and strengthened in our faith as, uh, as we hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most important questions to ask in response to biblical teaching, uh, biblical truths, is, is the question, so what? Uh, to ask that question not in a dismissive way, but in a receptive, searching way. Uh, what, so what? What difference does it make? So this morning we, we looked at the facts of the resurrection. And um, tonight we want to press a little more deeply and, and examine, well, what are the implications of the resurrection? What are the ramifications? What does it mean? Why does it matter? What did it actually accomplish for you and for me today? And I ask uh, that question in light of the incredible impact that it had upon 
the uh, disciples and those who followed Jesus. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the most transformative event of their life. It changed everything about how they thought, about how they lived, what they pursued. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus defined their religion, and their religion defined their life. Uh, it was the resurrection of, of Christ that made them gladly spend their life for Christ and willingly die for Him. Uh, they were radically changed, men and women, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if we could say the same for ourselves. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the single most transformative event in your life? Does it explain who you are? Does it explain how you think and, and why you do what you do? Does it define your religion? And does that re resurrected religion define your life? Because that's the impact that the resurrection is meant to have uh, for us today. Tim Keller uh, wrote a book recently, Hope in Times of Fear, uh, just wrestling with the question, why does the resurrection matter? And he points out in that book that um, one of the most common responses to that question is that the resurrection is proof that Jesus is really God. And that, of course, is true. It is proof that Jesus is God, and we delight in that. Uh, it's, it was one of the primary conclusions drawn by the disciples. Uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm gonna, um, we're going to look at Thomas's response, doubting Thomas. Uh, and when he finally saw Jesus and was finally convinced that Jesus was alive, Thomas worships my Lord and my God. The resurrection is proof of the deity of Jesus Christ and, and that Jesus uh, deserves to be worshipped and adored. But it is not just that. Uh, it is, along with his birth and his atoning death, um, this incredibly transformative historic event. And in some sense, it's not just something that happened, but something that is happening. Uh, boys and girls, if you take a large stone and you throw it into uh, the middle of a pond, uh, what happens? Well, you get an initial splash, right? And after the initial splash, then you have all these ripples, waves moving out, concentric circles out to the shoreline. Well, um, Jesus' resurrection is, is the, the greatest event ever dropped into the pool of human history. And the waves of his resurrection continue to flow powerfully throughout time and will flow through all eternity. It is this event that has begun the new world order. It is the breaking in of the new kingdom, the dawning of a new age, the beginning of a new creation. Keller says the resurrection was a miraculous display of God's power, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world. When Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated the first stage of the coming of God's kingdom. Excuse me, he inaugurated the first stage of the coming of God's kingdom power into the world to restore and heal all things. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is the renewing of, of everything, right? The waves go on and on. And uh, we live today in the confidence that the wintry curse of Death, the wintry curse of death has been broken, and the inevitable march of an eternal spring has begun. That's where we live today. The kingdom of God is broken into the, this age. 
It's not here fully, but it is here in truth. But so what? What does that mean? Uh, what does that mean for us today and this week? Well, let me just list a few things from Paul's words here in First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. I'm going to start by uh, looking at verse twenty-one, where Paul points out that this means that we are free from death. Verse twenty-one: For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Paul wants us to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the context of, the, of Adam's fall into sin. To see the real glory of the resurrection, we have to, to remember the significance of, of, of death, where it came from. Death is not normal, as a people would have you believe today. It's, it's not a necessary part of the evolutionary circle of life. It is, it is profoundly abnormal. It is, it is the ever-present testimony that something has gone horribly wrong. This is not the way the world was meant to be. And we sense that when we see the shocking images from Ukraine or when we see the senseless tragedy that happened in Grand Rapids this past week. We sense that's not right. When young children should not have terminal cancer. Teenagers should not be swept away by death by a car accident. Parents shouldn't be burying their own children. And children shouldn't have to grieve the death of their parents. It's just, it, 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 this cannot be what God in, meant in the best sense of that word. We were not made to die. It, it's, it's profoundly wrong. And, and the greatest tragedy of, of death is, is not the physical suffering, but the spiritual loss that it reveals. Because death tells us that there's been a, a breach in our fellowship with God, that, that there's been a breach in our relationship with God, that, that God and, and those he's made in his image have been separated, divided, so that the, the creatures that God has created, men and women and boys and girls, now live apart from God, without God in this world, cut off from the fountain of life. So when Adam and Eve fall into sin, uh, they and all their descendants after them fall into the grip of death, under the judgment of the law. And physical death is just the terrifying a reminder of that spiritual, that devastating spiritual reality. We really are in truth a ruined race, alienated from God, under the sentence of condemnation. That's not just a theology. That's throughout Scripture that this is the truth of humanity in, uh, of Adam's race. But that's what makes exactly uh, Paul's words so wonderful, because as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. Uh, there's been a new Adam, a second Adam, who has accomplished what the first Adam failed to do and has restored what the first Adam had destroyed. And that's the, the message that Jesus speaks of throughout his Gospels. John, uh, John's Gospel particularly highlights uh, that Jesus has come to conquer death in the deepest, truest sense and has come to give us life in the deepest, fullest truest sense. So Jesus will say things like, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, now present. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He'll say things like John 8, 51, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Jesus said that. He will never see death. He repeats it in John 11, 25, 26, when he's speaking with Martha outside the tomb of Lazarus, who has died. And yet Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Death in Christ has been eviscerated for those who belong to Christ. And so when Paul talks about those who've died in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he doesn't use the word death. He uses the word those who have fallen asleep. Where did he get that language? Well, he got that language from Jesus. That's how Jesus spoke of his own who had, who had died. They, they've, they've just fallen asleep. That's a remarkable way to speak of physical death. And yet it's exactly how Jesus and Paul speaks of it. And the reason, you see, is because the spiritual curse and crisis behind physical death is exactly what Jesus Christ has removed. So that Jesus, we're told, didn't simply die for our sin. He rose for our justification. Romans 8 verse, uh, excuse me, let's go to Romans 8 verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the wonder of, of, of the gospel and, and, and the resurrection story, that as Jesus is raised from the tomb, it is God's pronouncement that the crisis of spiritual alienation has been healed. God and man have been reconciled. And so the gospel is this glorious proclamation that though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. God made us alive, truly, truly alive. If you are a Christian, you are a resurrected person, a person of the resurrection, having passed from death to life, free from the law of sin and death. You will never taste death. That's what Jesus says. That's a truth that we just need to ponder, to lay hold of, to take in. We cannot die. Now, of course, we still face death, and it's still an enemy, but the sting has been removed. Death is no longer judgment. In fact, uh, the judgment of God, in fact, the Bible says that it, our death is precious to God. Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I did. Have you ever just thought about that? It's, it, it doesn't feel precious to us. It feels devastating, and yet... What if we took God's perspective? Precious, God says. Precious, treasured. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why would that be? Well, because God knows it is, he's just taking us home. Uh, It's our passing from all the frailty and weakness of this world into all the glory of the world to come. It's precious to God because, you see, this is why he sent his son, that that we could live forever in a perfected, glorified self, in a perfected, glorified new heaven and new earth in his presence. And so that means, friends, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't need to be afraid of death. We have been given victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How would your life change if you actually believed that? Think of all the things that we, that we do. Now, this is an invitation to live recklessly. Our, our, our life still matters. It's a gift that God gives, and, and we should uh, steward it well. 
but we don't have to be afraid to die. We don't have to be afraid of what people can do to us. Remember, Jesus said that. Don't be afraid of what men can do to you. Because, because men can do nothing to us if God is for us. Think of the boldness that might result if, if we were convinced that Jesus actually had set us free from, from death and, and from judgment. If, 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 if we're free from the judgment of God, why should we fear the judgment of men? And see, that, that boldness, that's exactly what happened in the, in, the, in the lives of the apostles. And so you find them in the book of Acts, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after the Holy Spirit's been poured out, they are like lions. They are fearless, even as they're being persecuted, even as some of them are being put to death. They're fearless, and not just the men. It's the men and the women and the boys and girls who are living for Christ, confident of his resurrection power, confident that they will never die. That's what the resurrection of Christ can do for us. Secondly, it's a freedom from guilt and shame. And here I'm looking at verse 17, where Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And, and you can just turn that verse, <coughs> excuse me, you can turn that verse around and say it positively. A Christ has been raised and therefore your faith is not futile and you are no longer in your sin. Your faith is not Futile, that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. If your faith is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not fruitless. It's not just your longing. It's not, it's not just your desire. It's, it's not primarily something that you feel. Your faith, Christian faith, is a mighty thing that God has worked into your life by His Spirit and His own power. Your faith is, is the gift of God that unites you to Jesus Christ, who is our life. Your faith is, is the means by which, the Bible says, you overcome the world. You resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. By faith, we do that. By faith, we glorify God even in our weakness, in the confidence that in our weakness, He gets the praise. Uh, by faith, we lay hold of life even as we are dying, and we, by faith, judge this world that is passing away and gain the world to come. By faith. It's a wonderful, uh, fruitful, <clears throat> powerful thing that God has worked in us. The resurrection means that our confidence in Jesus Christ is not in vain, but our, our faith in Him is, <clears throat> is the means by which, by the, by the grace and the power of God, the means by which we will gain everything we hoped to be true. We actually will gain it by faith. It's not in vain. Your faith is a beautiful, wonderful, mighty thing that God has given to you. And Paul says it means that we're no longer in our sin. We still sin, but we're not in our sin. We're not defined by our sin. We're not, we're not held in, in the grip of our sin. Our identity and destiny is no longer determined by our sin. We are not in sin. We are in Christ. Um, we are defined not by our failures, our sin. We're defined by the righteousness of Jesus and our union with him. Our destiny is determined by his resurrection victory. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not a moral improvement program. It is a death to life program. 
by grace through faith in a resurrected Jesus Christ. It means then that the most essential things about you are the things that are true about you because they're true about Jesus, because of what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection. Those are the most fundamental, necessary, essential things that are true about you. You belong to Jesus, and in Jesus, you are the victor. It means that we don't have to live then with this, this burden of guilt and shame that so easily clings to us. <clears throat> we don't have to be burdened with guilt. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is God's verdict that the sacrifice of Christ has been accepted. And Jesus went to the cross bearing your guilt. Jesus atoned for your guilt, your real guilt. And, and in atoning, the guilt has been washed away. And in the resurrection, it is God's verdict that you're innocent. Your full and final pardon has been guaranteed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we don't need to live in shame. Shame, you see, is that pervading sense that we have failed, that we're not worthy, that our lives could not endure a close inspection, that if, that if people would take a close look at, at who we are and what we've done, we would be condemned. One of the things I, um, I think I assumed when I was younger is that by the time you get to be my age, uh, guilt and shame would be things of the past. I mean, you'd be so sanctified by the time you're 58 that... It's just kind of cruising into glory from here. <clears throat> yeah, that didn't, it is, it's not working that way. <clears throat> There's no cruise. <laughs> um, Keller says, interestingly, he says that, that, well, I'll read it. He says, as a pastor, I've spoken to people nearing death who express guilt, uh, guilt and shame for the things they've done. But I've spoken to far more people who were racked with regret for the things they had not done. They realized at the end that much of their lives had simply been wasted and that their lives warranted a negative verdict. I have to say that as I'm getting older, I, I sense that more and more. It's not, not just the things that I've done, but the things that I haven't done. And, and that the, those years now are, you don't get them back. And the, the opportunities that weren't taken advantage of, you, you, you don't get them back. I, that makes total sense to me. There's always reasons for shame, aren't there? And our conscience accuses us, both of sins of commission and sins of omission. But friends, the child of God is, is not called to live in shame. We're called to live free of shame. Yes, we have failed profoundly. We've done things we should not have done. We failed to do, to do so very, very many things we should have done. Generosity we should have, sh should have shown. Words we should have spoken. Endeavors we should have uh, you know, tried to do for the cause of Christ. And, uh, and, and because of our failures in both ways, right, we can live with this self-imposed verdict of shame. But friend, the ultimate review of your life has already taken place in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was put to death for your sin and raised to life for your justification. Justification is God's verdict it's his verdict on you for once and for all. And, and the verdict is you are righteous in Jesus. You are beloved in Jesus. You are accepted 
You are a child of God. You are an heir of heaven in Jesus Christ. The verdict has been announced. Stop going to the courtroom. Don't don't go back to be judged again and again and again by the devil or by your conscience or by someone else. The verdict's been announced. The trial's over. Go home. Live in the freedom that you have from guilt and from shame. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he tells us how this works. He, he speaks of Christian walking along under a great load of, of guilt and shame, burdened by his guilt and shame. A lot of us know exactly what that means. Listen to what Bunyan writes. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the heavy load on his back. He ran until he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher, a grave. So I saw in my dream that as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back, and it began to tumble and continued to to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in, and I saw it no more." Then was Christian glad and lightsome. It was very surprising to him that at the sight of the cross, he would be free of his burden. He looked, therefore, and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters running down his cheeks. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing, Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Friend, your guilt was atoned for when Jesus died. Your shame was buried with Jesus in the shameful tomb. But when Jesus came out of that tomb in glorious resurrection, your your shame remained behind, and God calls you to leave it there. Leave it there, buried in the tomb. Buried under the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Leave your guilt and your shame there, and now follow Jesus in the newness of life. Because that's what the resurrection also gives to us, the freedom to walk in newness of life. For that, I'll just quickly jump to Romans 6, verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to live as the resurrected people of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that means we're free free to walk in love, free to experience joy and peace in believing, Romans 15, 13. Free to be patient and free to be kind, free to have all the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. We're free to do the good works that God has prepared for us, Ephesians chapter 2. We're free to experience the resurrection power of God for a transformed life. That's Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. We're free to have a confident hope That the saving work that God has begun in us, He will gloriously fulfill and complete in us. That's Philippians 1, verse 6. You see, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And we're free. We're free now to live as though death and sin are truly defeated foes. We're free to live as though we have nothing to lose because in Jesus Christ we don't. And nothing to fear because of His victory. There isn't anything to fear. Not as long as we hold fast, as Paul says, to the gospel. The gospel which we receive, the gospel in which we stand, the gospel 
by which we are being saved. And so, friends, brothers and sisters, believe and walk in the freedom as you hold to your resurrected Jesus until we see him face to face. Amen. Oh, Lord our God, I thank you so much that Jesus Christ came to live in this world and bear our sin and die our death and be raised for our everlasting life. Father, I pray that your spirit would help us understand what what happened to us when Jesus rose from the dead. That we would, Lord, understand the difference this makes in our day-to-day life, how we think and how we feel, how we spend our time and money, how we, uh, the things that we worry about, the things that we pursue. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to live as resurrected people, people who will never taste death, a people who are free from the power of sin, people who are free to to live this life with boldness, with joy, and in peace because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Oh, Lord God, lead us down that path. I pray, Lord, if if we've never come to the cross and, and let the burden go, I pray that tonight, Lord, you would give us the grace to do that, to let all the guilt and the shame fall away as we accept what Jesus accomplished on the cross and to see that guilt and shame roll into that empty tomb and never come out again. And Father, I pray that we would then walk in the newness of life that we have in Jesus. Until that day when we see him face to face, we pray that day would come soon. Amen. Let's respond to the word of God tonight, singing together, uh, Christ, our hope in life and death. Let's stand to sing.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. And go this week confessing then, Christ, your hope in life and in death, and go with his blessing. And may the grace of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you till Christ come again. Amen.